Second Peter chapter three and Luke chapter 13. How many of you have been with us for part or all of this book? OK, uh, let me get a few of you up to speed. Second Peter is Peter's swan song. This is the last book that we know of that he wrote. This is his final communique. And really, he's addressing two issues. One, primarily, First uh, Peter, the previous book, the big thing at hand is persecution to the church. The church is going through crazy, uh, awful persecution. People, uh, guys being skinned alive, uh, being burned alive, uh, put pitch on them and, and made as candles for Nero's parties. Just ridiculous stuff. That's First Peter. Second Peter... He writes this and he says, on top of all those things they've already got going, Peter's concern is that false teaching has entered into the church. And he wants to protect the, the real sheep from the false wolves. So, we've seen, we're, we're finishing this book, Lord willing, today. We have seen an outline, pretty easy to follow, chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3. Chapter 1, Peter reminds He wants to first strengthen us in staying true to the word and not being fooled by the false teachers, first by reminding us of a whole bunch of things. And and probably the most important in chapter one would be this. You are rich already. You don't need to be fooled by those uh, false teachers. You're already rich. You already have in your lap everything you need pertaining to life and godliness. Meaning, to live a life that's pleasing to you and pleasant to God. You already have that at your disposal. You don't need to be fooled by the, the false teachers. So number chapter 1, he reminds. Chapter 2, Peter rebukes. He lays into these false teachers, just cursing after cursing. He's just like going after them and saying, you guys are in big trouble. And then chapter 3, where we are today, he focuses on the return of Jesus. Okay, chapter 1, he reminds, chapter 2, he rebukes, and chapter 3, where we are today, he focuses on the return of Jesus. I've got an outline for you for today's text. You want it? All right, we're coming alive here. Here we go, Uh, five things, I guess you would say. Number one, the day of the Lord, we're beginning beginning in verse 10, the day of the Lord will sneak up. It's going to sneak up on us, okay? Don't let it sneak up on you. Number two, the world will burn up. Number three, so because of those things, we should look up. Number four, there might be people in light of those things that you need to make up with. And the last thing, I guess you could say numbers five and or six, Peter gives us a heads up and he says, lastly, his last thing is, hey, I want you to grow up. But he doesn't say it in a mean way. Okay? Sneak up, burn up, look up, make up, heads up, grow up. We'll, we'll cover all of it. We're good. Here we go. Number one, the day of the Lord, Peter says, and remember, this is his last letter, his last chance to give you truth before he goes to meet Jesus. He says, the day of the Lord will sneak up. Look at it, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It says the day of the Lord. First thing I have to point out to you that in the New Testament, in the Bible, when it says the day of the Lord, it does not refer to a just a 24-hour period. Look at verses 10 through 14 and it covers a lot of ground here. 
that covers all of the last days. Um, matter of fact, I think if you look back just two verses, it says a day for the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Um, the, the phrase, the day of the Lord, you find it all throughout the, the New Testament. And what it refers to is an age. Um, let me make it hopefully make sense for you. Today, you could say is the day of man where we're still muddling around trying to uh, make sense of it. Or you could say that today is the day where Satan is still uh, the ruler of this present world. Right. So and we even have the phrase this day and age right in this day and age. Okay. That's the day that we're in. But verse 10 says, soon there will be a day of the Lord, an age of the Lord. His rule, his reign will come. So to not derail us here too quickly, but I just want to show you what's included in this, this phrase. This includes the rapture of the churches, includes the great tribulation. It includes the second coming of Jesus to rule and reign the whole millennium. It includes the great white throne judgment. It includes the lake of fire and the new heavens and the new earth. Okay, all of that is included in the day of the Lord. Here's the thing, though. What does it mean to you? How will it begin? How will the day of the Lord, his age, uh, when he rules and reigns, how will it begin? Well, verse 10 says, as a thief in the night. How does a thief come? He sneaks up. Wouldn't it be nice if thieves and robbers were to just call you? And set an appointment. They were to say, um, hey, yeah, I've got about an hour between 3 and 4 p.m. on Tuesday. And, and I'd, I'd like to clean you out to just rob you blind. Could I pencil you in? <laughs> You'd be like, I have nothing anyway. Um, or what you'd probably say is, yeah, sure, why don't you come on over? And I'll have a few people waiting for you. Right? See... That's what Jesus said of his return. Matthew 24, 43, Jesus, his words, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the son of man. He's speaking of himself. You don't know when I'm coming. The son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. First Thessalonians 5, 2 says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, same phrase, day of the Lord, so comes as a thief in the night. Revelation sixteen fifteen. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. Revelation 3, 3, Jesus speaking, remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. That means turn direction. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief. And you will not know what hour I will come upon you. See, the New Testament is filled with this idea. He is not returning on your timetable. He's not returning at a time when it's convenient for me. His return, the Bible says, is imminent. That means it could happen a thousand years from now. It could happen five years from now. It could happen five minutes from now. It could happen right now. That would really be cool. I would look so smart if it happened right this second. His return, though, is imminent. It means could happen right this second. He will not, though, make an appointment. Jesus will never call you and say, okay, October 15th, 7 a.m. 
That way you'll have had time to have your breakfast and you'll be right in the middle of your quiet time. Won't that be awesome? It doesn't do that. We'd be like, sweet, thanks Lord. I know I'm going to be ready then. It doesn't come at a time on our timetable. And that's speaking to Christians, but what about unbelievers? If you're here today and you don't know Him, I need to tell you, He's not coming on your timetable. Maybe you keep thinking, yeah, I, I, I kind of know in my heart that all that stuff is right, but I still got some living to do. You know, ruining my liver and all the other things that are so much fun. (laughs) He's not coming on your timetable. He won't say to you, okay, September 2nd, I'm on my way. And that gives you six months to, you know, sow your wild oats and get it out of your system. Not going to do it. I am coming as a thief in the night. The day of the Lord will sneak up. Application. Well, if you're a Christian... The whole rest of this message is application for you. So if you're a non-Christian, let me talk with you for a second. Your application should be obvious. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Get right with God. He says repent. If that means turn direction, that's what he means. I have to tell you, as we go through these texts, again, if you're an unbeliever, this could be pretty uncomfortable for you. Because if we look at these next few verses, from your standpoint, if you remain an unbeliever, this whole chapter, sorry, is flames, melting, elements dissolving, not fun stuff from your perspective. But here's the thing that I want you to hear. God does not want that for you. He does not want flames, melting, dissolving of elements for you. Matter of fact, just back up one verse, you'll see it. If you want to hear God's heart toward you, even if you did something awful last night or even this morning, here's God's heart toward you. Actually, let me back up and give you some some frame of reference here. Peter is answering in verse 9, he's answering the question, why is Jesus taking so long? If he says he's coming back, how, how come it's been so long? And back then it was only 40 years. So now it's even more weird, right? Verse 9, the Lord is not slack, though, he says, concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering. We covered this on Thursday. Here's, here's the point. The Lord's reason for his delay, the reason that he's taken now 2,000 years, is not laziness. It's not loitering. The Lord is not lost out in space going, this is a big place. How, where, where did I leave heaven? No. <laughs> Where did I leave earth? Sorry. Listen, he's not lost. He's not loitering. He's not lazy. The reason for his, his patience, his, the reason for his delay, it says right here, is long-suffering. It means patience. But when you understand what the word really means in the Greek, it really comes alive. Listen to the word. It's macrothumeia. Macro meaning big, huge. Thumeia is the same root word where we get the word thermometer. What it means is The reason he's taking so long is his amazingly high boiling point. Super high, amazing boiling point. And here's his heart toward you, okay? Lord, the the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but it's his long suffering toward us. Look at this. Not willing that any unbeliever, insert your name there, that any should perish, but that all should come to Repentance. 
that all, re, the word repent means to change direction. The Lord's not willing that anybody should perish. What he wants is for everyone to change direction. Unbeliever, as we read through the text here this morning, you're going to see flames, you're going to see melting, you're going to see fervent heat. Please know that the Lord's heart toward you is he doesn't want you to experience any of that. He's not willing that any should perish. He wants all to change direction. But I need to tell you this, verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. It will come. And you won't know when it's coming. It will come and you won't be warned other than right now when you're being warned. It will come. You won't be warned. The day of the Lord will sneak up. First point. Here we go. Point number two. It's a rather big one, I guess. The earth will burn up. Matter of fact, you guys read, you guys get to read all the hot words. You ready? No? Nobody's excited about this. Okay. You guys read the words like hot, melting, dissolving, those kind of words. You ready? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the elements will be being on and the elements will with fervent heat. You see a trend there? It's all heat, hot, melting, dissolving. Without question, Peter's emphasis here is the earth will burn up. He begins verse 10 saying, the heavens will pass away with a great noise. The big bang will no longer be a theory. The heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements, it says, will melt with fervent heat. Interesting, the words that Peter chose 2,000 years ago. Elements, the elements, it means the most elemental things. There's no periodic tables back then when he wrote, right? And the words that he used where he says melt, uh, it's, he uses two different words in three different verses, but it's all the same Greek word. Um, where it says melt there in that verse, but in verse 11 he says dissolved, and in verse 12 he says dissolved. The word actually means loosed. Now think about that. Peter wrote this way back in the day. And what he's saying is, we know in this day and age, the tremendous power and heat that is generated when atomic matter, elements, when atomic elemental matter is loosed, when an atom is split. Now, I'm no scientist, but by all accounts, from what I hear, scientists who who do know what they're talking about, there's one of many things that they have yet to figure out, and that is, what is it that holds the whole universe together. What is it that holds these elements that are repelling by nature? They're supposed to be repelling. They should all be blowing apart. What is it that's holding them together? There seems to be, according to scientists, something that is yet unidentified holding everything together. Colossians 1.17. Jesus, he existed before everything else began and he holds all creation together. 
Jesus is the one holding it all together. Maybe you've heard that, that joke. Scientists, they, they, they climb the mountain and as they get to the top, they find the theologians waiting for them. Jesus is the one holding all things together. And you thought you had a hard job keeping it all together. Right now, most of you are probably aware if you read the news, the story about the volcanic ash. Uh, Lisa's folks were hoping, are hoping to go to Israel like this week. Right now their plans are on hold. Why? Because there's a five mile, is that right? Something like that stream of ash that's flowing from this volcano. One volcano in one spot where the molten elements are breaking through one spot in the crust of the earth. And down, if you go all the way down, down at the core of this earth, what do you find? One big ball of molten elements. And if you're paying attention to the news, earthquakes happening all over the world. Matthew 24, Jesus says, the end times is going to be like birth pangs. They're going to come and there's going to be waves of, of earthquakes and all of these things and then it's going to maybe subside. But they're going to get closer together and they're going to be bigger and it's going to be more catastrophic. Last, last night, apparently, Papua New Guinea, earthquake 6.3. Does it seem that this world seems to be more and more of a trembling mass getting ready to blow? I want to remind you, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12 all have, or I'm sorry, verse 10 and 12 only, have this word, macrothumea, God's high boiling point. But there's coming a time when he will just let it loose. Verse 10, and the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Everything on this earth will go up in smoke. And everything accomplished on this earth will go up in smoke. It will be hurtling outward. What does that include? Your house. This building, as nice as it is. Some of you worked hard to get this building looking as nice as it is. Sorry. Your house. This building... Uh, your iPhone. No. Yeah. Your Lexus. Okay, there used to be Lexuses, maybe. Uh, that new dress. That jewelry. The yacht. Okay, there's never been this. Um, all of it will be melted, it says, with fervent heat. It will be gone. Burned up. It kind of makes the love of material things look short-sighted. Right? Kind of makes you feel stupid for loving that which is guaranteed to go up in smoke. So, most of you know the Teals are rejoicing this week. We finally sold our house. We've been We tried to sell it a year ago because we want to move up here closer to you guys. Sorry. Just wait. You have no idea how weird we are. We're supposed to to, uh, close on the selling of our house a week from tomorrow. 
And a year ago, we, I think we, we settled that what, the thing that we sold it for was 70000 less than what we were asking a year ago. And that, you know, that's, that sounds like a lot. took less than we'd ever imagined. But when you think about it in these terms, looking at the people who bought our house, suckers. <laughs> that house is going to burn. Now, now, we're looking at houses around here, be warned, that we will someday buy, and somebody will say, sucker. There's nothing wrong with having things, material things, but if you love them, man, you're dumb. Because you are investing your heart and soul into that which will burn. Jesus said, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Interesting, in light of our text. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And we could add, and they won't burn up. What's your application? Well, knowing that everything you could possibly possess, everything you could possibly spend your money on in your lifetime will go up in ashes just like that volcano, are you investing smartly, wisely? Are you investing in what counts? Are you investing in, for instance, people? People are eternal. Are you investing in serving the Lord? A litany of ideas come to mind. Teaching Sunday school, sharing the gospel, visiting a widow, making a meal. Jesus said, look, is life not more than food and clothing? Is that really all you're going to get out of this life? When he talks about the abundant life, he's not talking about that stuff, the stuff that we sometimes think of. Is not life more than food and clothes and things? And maybe you think, oh, yeah, you're right. What was I thinking? I need to begin investing in that which counts, but I don't know where to start. I have a great place for you to start. Invest, first of all, time with Him. Just you and Him. And what you will find is He is an awesome investment counselor. You just spend time with Him and you say, okay, Lord... I'm, I'm hearing from you. you want, okay, you want me to go bless that lady or you want me to, to make this meal for that person, whatever it might be, okay? That's kind of the point is getting, getting your priorities in line, realizing that the day of the Lord is imminent. Verse 11, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? <clears throat> it's kind of over the top, I guess, when you really think about it. Peter's saying, you know, in light of, well, the end of all things, what manner of persons ought you to be? Literally, manner of persons, it means what country should you be from? Uh, the word holy conduct, holy means to be different, okay, different than the world. Godliness means to be more and more like God, okay? So if you put verse 11 all together, what Peter's saying is this, look, this world is going to be blowing up. Is this really a good place to settle down? Is it really a good place to go, yeah, this is where I belong, knowing that it's going to blow up? Wouldn't it be better to have the mindset, no, I'm just going to kind of drop in and just stay right here with a real light touch and be ready, have my bags packed so that when it's time, 
I'm ready to go. To be living in holiness means to be different from the world around you. To be living in godliness means to be more and more like your Father in heaven. I hope you want that mindset. And maybe, maybe you're thinking, yes, I do. But how do I get it? Well, I think that's, that's next here. The day will sneak up. The world will burn up. Number three, if you want to be ready, if you want to have that light touch on the world, you need to look up. Matter of fact, you guys read the words, the looking kind of words here in the next text here. Uh, there's three words, three phrases. I want you to read the words looking for. I want you to read the word look for. And I want you to read the word looking forward. Okay? We start in verse 12, but it's tricky because you guys start. Verse 12. Looking for. Hey, you guys are good. Much better than the first service. <laughs> looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise... New heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. See, the key to staying, having the mindset of just a visitor on this ball of lava is where you're looking. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Maybe rather than me talking much more, she should remind you of that song we just sang. Jesus, draw me close, close and Lord to you. Let the world around me fade away. So we look at him. So we focus on him. All of the junk that looked so appealing kind of fades. There's another song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. The things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Uh, similar ideas here in these words. Looking for is prostokeo, and it means to wait expectantly. And hastening means to desire earnestly. Probably the quickest way to summarize that idea is the, the idea that we have when we say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. The idea that we're, we're almost on our, on our tiptoes, like, okay, I'm ready. Verse 12, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And Webster's translation has, in which the, the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire and the elements will melt with fervent heat. You need to see a kind of a slight change of perspective here. I think Peter's kind of uh, pointing out that if you're an unbeliever, you should be dreading this, right? I mean, your whole world literally is coming apart. But he says, us, nevertheless, we are looking forward to it. Now, which category are you in? Verse 12, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, this is what he's promised us all along, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which it says righteousness dwells. Y'all get it? If you're a Christian, the flaming, the picture of the flaming ball hurtling outward is not the end. It's the beginning of, it says, a brand new heaven and a brand stinking new earth. Wait, I can't say stinking in this context. Right? It's pure. A brand new earth. And it says, in which righteousness dwells. What does dwell mean? It means to settle in. 
Think about where you're headed if you're a Christian. You're headed to a place where righteousness can just settle in. Is righteousness settling here on this earth all that much? It's not all that at home. Hopefully it is in your place. But there's going to be a brand new heaven, a brand new earth where righteousness just dwells. Think about what that means. Only perfect, godly, fun, forgiving, sinless people will be there. Lisa and I are looking at houses in this area. Doesn't that sound like awesome neighbors? Perfect, godly, forgiving, sinless, pretty good neighbors. But you think, well, wait, well, how do, how do I get there? Well, actually, let me back up and describe these people. The sinless, only sinless people, people who never blow it, who never hurt others, they never lust after others, they never ruin their own livers, they never addle their own minds, they never destroy their own marriages. Only those kind of people will be there. Great neighbors. But who qualifies? Only those whom Jesus makes that way. None of us are going to be in heaven because of something great we did or didn't do. It's because of something great Jesus did for us. And on top of all of that cool stuff, there'll be plenty of things that won't be there. No more sorrow. No more pain. No more autism. No more death. No more tears. No more sad goodbyes. All of it. Wiped away. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved... Looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace. And it says, without spot and blameless. Now, he says to be found by, so he, he's not speaking of sinless perfection because this is, this is the state that Jesus will find us in. Okay? It's not sinless perfection, but it means to be above reproach, meaning don't make this embarrassing for both of you, for you and the Lord. Right? Don't be doing or, or saying something that is even more awkward. Right? Uh, it says, be found in him without spot and above reproach. Okay? This ties in with verse 12 where it says, looking for and hastening. That is, looking expectantly. This is an interesting phenomenon. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. We are too, as Christians, we're supposed to have the mindset, I'm ready for him to come, right? Have you ever noticed that there's times in my life when I am expecting him to come, to return at any minute? Holiness comes fairly easily then. Because he's like right there. I know that he could return any minute. The effect that it has on me is holiness. That means a little different from the world, a little more different from the world. Godliness, a little more like God. I am weird to the world at that point. I don't really fit in, but it's a really good thing. But flip it on the other side. Have you ever been doing something that you shouldn't be doing? Or watching something, or drinking something, or saying something, or out on a date with someone that you shouldn't be, and you actually think, Lord, please don't come now. <laughs> what, what does that tell you? You're, you're doing the actual opposite of what Peter's saying here. The heart of the Christian is, Lord, come on, come on. But the opposite is, Lord, I'm, I'm so messed up. If you come now, I am sunk. 
You see, that's a competing effect. If, it's just like Galatians says, if you, uh, if you walk after the Spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But if you fulfill the lust of the flesh, then it's going to be really hard for you to be interested in spiritual things. The same idea here. If you walk into your day going, Lord, you could come back today. Oh, wouldn't that be awesome? I want to be ready all day. Right? It's so much easier than, I think I'm going to fulfill my flesh and then see how I feel about the Lord coming. No, it's not going to work. Okay? If I'm looking for him, I will keep myself pure and ready. Verse 15. He says, and consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Really interesting to me. Again, Peter's going on this litany of just fireballs and all of this stuff. And it seems like he can't help himself. He has to go back to the unbeliever and say, don't forget. The reason that this hasn't happened yet is because he doesn't want it to happen to you. The long suffering, the same word, macrothumea. The reason that he's waiting so long is because he doesn't want judgment to fall upon you. I hope you're having conversations with unbelievers. Like I said, if you're here and you've never opened a Bible before, I think it's awesome that you're here. Thank you for coming. I hope everybody in this room is having conversations with unbelievers. And if you do, you're going to get challenged. Duh. We're weird. Right? Our perspective is weird. It's different. You're going to get challenged. I hope you're having conversations and I hope that someone says at some point to you, because it's an honest question, look, you tell me that Jesus is coming back. Haven't you been saying that for 2,000 years? I mean, come on. You can take them right to this chapter, 2 Peter chapter 3, and you can point them to verse 8, first of all, and say, well, according to this scripture, it's only been two days. That's not too long. 2,000 years to him is just like two days. But then better than that, verse 9, you can point to verse 9 and verse 15 and say, my understanding of this is that he is literally holding all things together. Macro thumea. He is holding it all together, keeping the lid on it so that in hopes that you will be saved. You say that to your unbelieving friend. But please know that if you, if you wait too long, judgment is coming. I wish I had a different answer for you, but that's the truth. Just so you guys know, I know you know this, but Peter's not making this up. I'm not making this up. This is the, the Lord's heart. And I want to show you, again, I'm just, I'm loving how the quiet, my, quiet, my own personal quiet time is, is uh, dovetailing with what the Lord is saying to the church and stuff. I want to show you Luke 13. Lord showed me this this week. Um, turn there, Luke 13. Exact same concept, same thought, but this is from the Lord's first person perspective. This shows you that yes, judgment is coming, but no, he doesn't want it to come upon you. Luke 13, verse 1. Jesus speaking. There were present at the the season uh, some who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. A terrible slaughter, uh, injustice that Pilate had done here. Okay, Verse 2. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Verse 4. Are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them? Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. 
This would be like for us. Jesus, if he were here and you could see him, he is here, but if you could see him, it would be like him saying to all of you, do you really think that the people in Haiti were worse sinners than those in this room? Do you really think so? Jesus saying with all the compassion could possibly be, I'm telling you, likewise, you will perish. Unless you repent, turn direction, you will perish. But just so you're not confused and you think, wow, the Lord likes it that way. No, no, look at verse 6. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, then you can cut it down. Do you see the heart of the Lord? If you're an unbeliever here, you are the tree. And Jesus is saying, just a little longer. He's holding the lid on just a little bit longer. Just a little bit more time. Maybe, perhaps, they will repent. They will turn. Verses 6 through 9 says that you are the tree. Jesus is the man who's waiting. He does not want to cut you down. But verses 1 through 5 say, there's coming a time when it will happen. Everyone will meet his or her maker, whether it's by... Earthquake, volcano, car wreck, everyone will meet his or her maker. And Jesus says, unless you repent, you will perish. We are almost out of time here. Verse 1, or, or the, the first point was this. Look, the day of the Lord is going to sneak up. Number 2, the whole world, the whole universe is going to burn up. Uh, that one uh, hymn says the, cr- the clouds will be rolled back like a scroll, Right? The whole universe is going to burn up, so we should therefore look up. Now, the fourth thing for our text this this morning is kind of an aside, but it totally makes sense. Think about this. If Jesus comes back today, don't you think that you should make up with someone whom you're not liking right now? That you should be able to be in good fellowship with them if he were to come back today. Look at verse 15 and I'll show you how I get that. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you. Man, this is a big, long story, but I'm going to try to make it as short as I can. You guys remember that there was a time when Peter totally laid into, or excuse me, Paul laid into Peter? That there was a certain uh, agape feast that they were at, and Paul stood up and pointed his finger, I think, at Peter and went, Hypocrite! Let let me give you the the really long story short. Let me give you war and peace in comic book fashion. You ready? Peter, instrumental in bringing the Gentiles into the fold. He was the one who went to Cornelius' house and said, apparently God even likes the Gentiles. Go figure. Okay? That's awesome. Peter's instrumental in it, but that's not his primary ministry. Paul's primary, primary ministry turns out to be to the Gentiles. Okay, Peter's uh, going after the Jews to get them saved. Paul's going after the Gentiles to get them saved. It seems like one big happy family. Everything's going great. Uh, Peter comes to visit Antioch, and he does something that's awesome. He sits with the Gentiles. Now, Peter's a good Jew, 
and he sits with the Gentiles. That's a huge, brave thing for him to do, to say, you know what, there, Paul's right, there's no difference between Jews and Gentiles, okay? Everything's great. Problem. Some men come, it says, from Jerusalem, from the, the party of James, men who still are struggling with this idea that Gentiles could actually be as valuable to God as, as Jews. They come to Antioch. Peter's there. Guess what Peter does? Oh, I don't feel so comfortable sitting here anymore. I think I'll go sit over here. Gentiles, maybe I could just kind of talk with you later. Paul stands up and goes, what is your problem? Do you not, do you not believe any of the stuff that you've said before? Now think about the chutzpah that that takes for Paul to rebuke the uh, first pope. <laughs> I mean, Peter is a big dog in this thing. And if you look at Galatians, Paul's like, I'm not scared of any of them. James, Peter, Paul, whatever. I know that we're all just men before God. But man, talk about an awkward, tense moment, right? I just wanted to show you that. Now look, verse 18. And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also that jerk Paul who embarrassed me in front of my peers. No. As also the high and mighty Paul who thinks he's better than... No. As also that guy who I will not speak his name. He's dead to me. No. As also our beloved. Same word that he uses about you. Dear little ones of God. Also our beloved. And then he says brother. That's a pretty nice word. And then he says, according to the wisdom that it's given him, he compliments him. Do you get the sense that maybe somewhere along the line, Peter and Paul made up? Listen, this is Peter's last letter. These are among the very last words that we have written from him for all, all eternity. We know that Peter knows time is short. We know that Peter is going to have his very own personal come to Jesus moment. And he has made peace with all men as much as depends upon him. Can I get in your face? Have you? Have you made peace? As much as depends upon you. We don't know that Jesus could come back today. We've been singing about it. We've been talking about it, right? Today. Can you imagine the awkwardness? Rapture comes. We're all hurtling through space. It's like, this is awesome. I've never flown before. Very cool. You're like, awesome. There's Eric. Hey, man, high five. That's so cool. You know, there's Robin. Hey, Robin, what's going on? And you're like, oh, you. <laughs> how, how awkward is that? Oh, yeah, that guy's dead to me. You're kidding me. I, didn't, I thought for sure he wasn't going to heaven. Kind of steals the whole thrill of it. Listen, he's coming soon. He's promised. And he's not telling you when, but he's coming soon without warning. Is there anyone that you need to make up with? Anyone that you need to have a heart to heart with, that you need to humbly, if they've offended you or you've offended them, you need to have a heart to heart with. You need to get past what I call detente, which is a really lame excuse for peace and fellowship. It doesn't really not good enough. Detente is where it's like, yeah, well, we can exist in the same church. That's lame. We should be living in full fellowship and enjoy with one another. We don't have to agree on everything, but the way that people that don't agree on things get together is through humility. Okay? Verse 16. 
as also in all his epistles, Peter speaking about Paul. And by the way, this is awesome. He, he elevates with just a few words. He, he declares that Paul's writings are scripture. Very cool. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Uh, just real quick encouragement. If you ever read the Bible, particularly maybe the writings of Paul, and you're like, what did he just say? There's whole chapters where it's like, does a guy ever take a breath? The, like the longest run-on sentences you'll ever find anywhere. And it's filled with super deep stuff. Are you encouraged that Peter goes, yeah, I'm not sure I get it all either. <laughs> now he doesn't say they're impossible to understand. He says they're hard to understand. It takes a lot of work. Okay? So don't be discouraged in your own quiet time, in your own time with him. If you don't get it all, just get to know him. Just spend that time with him. Okay? Um, he says that, that some people, unstable, untaught people, twist Paul's words to their own destruction, as they do also the rest of Scripture. Uh, just a couple examples of that. Paul would speak of liberty, and these guys would twist it. The false teachers would twist it into license. Uh, Paul would speak of God's grace, and these guys would say, well, apparently God doesn't care what you do. No, no. Paul would speak, even, he even spoke of the rapture, and he, he goes around and, and finds that the Thessalonians somehow had been convinced by false teachers that it already happened and they missed it. Paul, man, he's, he's putting out truth and it's really deep and it's awesome stuff, but they are twisting things for their own, uh, for their own purposes, and it says to their own destruction. Okay? So the last point. There, we've seen um, the day will sneak up, the world will burn up. We should look up and we should be making up with fellow believers. Lastly, Peter gives us a heads up, a quick heads up, and he tells us he wants us to grow up. Verse 17, you therefore, beloved, let me stop just 30 seconds and point that out four times in this chapter. A chapter about, about elements blowing up and all sorts of craziness. And he says four times, beloved, little, God's little chosen loved ones. Cool stuff. You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, that you know that these guys want to twist the scriptures, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. Again, Peter's whole objective for this whole book is right there. He wants to give you a heads up. Right? When uh, you're playing baseball, somebody says, heads up. You know that something's coming your way and you need to be aware of it. Uh, when you're playing golf, you say, four. It's like, something's coming. Peter says, look, since you know this beforehand, that's why I'm, I'm sending this letter. Beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you also, just like those false teachers, I don't want you to fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. And these guys have fallen into error, but you don't need to. Okay, so he says, there's your heads up. Now, last thing that he leaves us with, I think. What do you do? Once again, since you know that people can even twist the words of Paul the great Apostle Paul and Peter, people can twist their words. What safety, what comfort do you have? The last one is to grow up. Look at it, verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How many of you have noticed over the last few weeks, I've just been riding that hobby horse into the ground, quiet time, quiet time, spending time with him, getting to know him, 
gaining a history with him, not being the smartest, most amazing theologian in the world, but just spending time with him, letting him remind you of stuff about him, the fact that he's good, that he's gracious, that he's forgiving, all of these things, spending time with you and him, not me and you and him, you and him. That is the safest way for you to protect yourself from twisted scripture. Again, if you're only getting fed here from me, you don't know how I could be twisting it, making it all the way I want it to be. Safest way for you to be is for you to be growing in the grace and knowledge. And the awesome thing is, once you grow in your knowledge of Him, that is, wow, I really, I'm beginning to, to know your, your nature, how you are, how you tick. You're scary, but you're loving. Once you begin to really know Him, the growing in the grace just happens. Meaning, I know that I blow it, but I know that He's a gracious God and that He loves me and He takes me back. You get it? I want to leave you guys with the last word on this whole book. You guys ready? To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your mercy and your goodness. I thank you for the disciples you brought here. And I thank you for those even, um, or I should say especially, who might not know you at this moment in time. Lord, you know the end from the beginning. You know if, um, if they're going to come to you and they're going to uh, surrender to you. You know if they might even do it today. Lord, I, I just want to agree with you. Lord, you're not willing that any should perish. And we aren't either. We desire, Lord, that you would save anyone that you brought here who doesn't know you. So we agree with you. I ask that you'd help us now in our application time. In Jesus' precious name, amen.